You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Rose Eveleth. It was recorded in May 2015 at Littlefield in Brooklyn, New York. So I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, Oh man, I didn't know what was going to happen when I said that. Um, And for me, that meant that as soon as I graduated from high school, I got the fuck out of New Jersey. Um, And I wanted to go as far away as possible. Um, So I decided to go somewhere where I had no family, no friends, no support system, really like the most uh, most alone place I could possibly go. So I decided to go to San Diego. Uh, I also didn't get into any colleges in Hawaii, so I had to go to San Diego. That's the furthest I could manage. Um, because I've always sort of been the, the kid who wanted to be independent. Um, my mom once said to me, she said, you know, I'm really glad that we raised you as this like independent woman, but maybe sometimes you're a little too independent. <laughs> um, so I, I went to San Diego and I was really st- to sort of continue my path towards ultimate independence. And San Diego is awesome. Uh, the weather is amazing, the beaches are amazing, the tacos are amazing, everything is great, and it also has this amazing zoo. I don't know how many people have been to the San Diego Zoo, but it's awesome, it's huge, they have hippos and polar bears, and those are really the only two animals that matter. Um, <laughs> And you can tell a zoo is serious if they have hippos. That's like a really serious animal. Um, and so it's great. And so we, I would go and, and, you know, other people who were in college in San Diego would go to Tijuana and drink. I would go to the zoo. Um, so I was there with um, my boyfriend at the time and a couple of our friends. And we're walking along. And I look to the left and there's this eucalyptus tree. Because San Diego is also full of eucalyptus trees, weirdly. Um, and there's a eucalyptus tree. And I look up in the tree and there is a jaguar in the tree. A jaguar has escaped, and we're like, oh, shit. Uh, and I, like, grab my boyfriend, and I'm like, Scott, there's a jaguar in the tree. And I'm trying not to move too much, because, like, I don't really know, but maybe their vision is based on movement, and we should, like, not startle it. Um, and I'm, like, already imagining, like, how I'm going to capture this jaguar, like, be a hero. And he looks over, and he looks back at me, and he goes, that's a cardboard cutout. Uh, And he's like, maybe you need to get your eyes checked. Um, It turns out he was actually totally right. Um, And (laughs) over the course of the next week, my vision got worse and worse and worse and worse, and actually to the point where I couldn't see past about eight inches from my face. Um, Everything was just extremely blurry. Um, But I didn't really tell anybody about this because I was like, it'll be fine. Um, My method of ignoring problems until they go away will totally work. 
And I just, and I was like, it's, everything's going to sort itself out. It'll be totally great. And I didn't want to ask for help. I really didn't want to ask for help. I just figured, you know, everything's going to sort itself out. Um, but eventually it didn't. And I finally admitted that I had a problem, which is that I couldn't see anything. And I called my parents. And I was like, yeah, no, you know, everything's good. Like, classes are great. Um, can't really see anything. And my dad's like, what, what? What do you mean you can't see anything? And I'm like, well, you know, it's... You know, like, it's just really, really, really blurry uh, everywhere. And he's like, oh, like what? Uh, like, how far away? And I was like, yeah, about eight inches. Um, and because he's a, a smart man, he's like, you should probably see a doctor. Um, and I should at this point mention that my dad works in ophthalmology. Uh, and he was like, here's a doctor. You should go see. Um, so I go to see a doctor, uh, I show up, I sort of do the whole thing, I tell them what's going on, they look into my eyes, there's a, a medical resident with him, and uh, he says I have nice veins, and I'm like, I can't really see you, but you smell really good. Um, that didn't work out for me, but it's okay. Um, and so they do some tests, and I sort of wait around, and they call me back in, and they're like, all right, so... Um, there are two things we think are going on. One thing that we're not really sure about and one thing that we're pretty sure about. The thing we're not as sure about is we think you're probably allergic to something in contact solution. So there are a lot of chemicals that are used as sort of uh, preservatives in contact solution and we think that maybe you're having an allergic reaction to, that, to one of those chemicals and we're not sure which one. And then because your eyes are weakened and you're having this allergic reaction, the thing that we're pretty sure about is that you have this bacterial infection that is eating holes into your cornea. Yeah. Um, and I wish I could remember uh, the name of the bacteria for you, but I was pretty preoccupied with the whole like eating holes in your eyeball thing uh, that I don't remember. Um, and it was, I was pretty afraid, even though the doctor sort of delivered the news in like the most nonchalant way, like, yeah, you know, so like it's a bacteria and there are holes in your eye now. Um, I'm like, um, and, you know, they say, okay, well, um, you know, if you catch it soon enough, usually you can get rid of the bacteria and your eye will grow back and you'll be okay. And I'm like, you know, how soon is soon enough? That seems like an important question. Uh, and they're like, eh, we don't really know. Uh, so they give me some eye drops. They tell me to stop wearing my contacts, which is fine because over the past week, I've been wearing them as like a ruse to pretend like nothing is happening, but they're not really helping me. I still can't see anything. Um, so I'm like, okay, so I take, I take the eye drops, I go home. Um, and I, I still haven't really told anybody that this is happening. Um, my, my boyfriend obviously knew, but he was actually out of town for a couple of weeks. And so really the only other person who knew was this doctor and my, my father. Um, and then there was this other group of people who knew, and they only knew it was because I was taking a class with them. It was over the summer, and I was taking this class called Visual Memoir, which is like a great <laughs> class to be taking when you're going blind. <laughs> Um, so I'm supposed to be crafting this sort of memoir, uh, and so I was like, well, this is a thing that's happening. I might as well craft a visual memoir about it. Um, and because I was a stupid college student, I was like asking all these questions about, you know, what would my life be like if I stayed this blind? And, and you know, being uh, an idiot, I was like, how will I have sex? Because uh, I'm a college student, that's all I care about. Um, or like, how will I remember people when I meet them? And like, obviously, people who are visually impaired have 
totally fulfilling lives. I just had never encountered a physical challenge like this where I couldn't just overcome it. Like it wasn't obvious that I was just going to be fine. And I really didn't like the idea of being different. I was really, you know, I said I was really independent, but I didn't like the idea of people noticing anything about me that was different. And and this sort of went to extremes. I actually was the person who I would I would uh, get a haircut, and then when people would compliment me on my haircut, I would pretend like I hadn't gotten a haircut because I didn't want anyone to notice that I was different than I had been before, which makes people think you're totally insane, um, just so you know. Um, but I couldn't really pretend that like I had once been sighted and now like wasn't, and but it was totally no, nothing had changed. That would have been even weirder maybe than pretending I hadn't gotten a haircut. Um, so, so I, I sort of take these drops, uh, and, and thankfully it stops getting worse. It doesn't get better, but it stops getting worse. And I'm, I'm sort of trying to go to classes, and I'm, I'm doing my thing, but I'm, I'm starting to get a little worried that maybe because I had waited so long to tell anybody that this was a problem, it was going to come back and bite me, and that I might have these holes forever. Um, and, and they're, they're sort of called corneal ulcers, so it's like an ulcer in your stomach, and, and sometimes they grow back and sometimes they don't. And, uh, and, and my independence seemed to sort of be biting me, uh, literally, in the, the eyeball. Um, and so I, I go back. They say, come back a week, like a little over a week later. So I go back about a week later. And, and this is another thing I should probably mention, which is that I, I didn't have any way to get to the doctor's office because I hadn't, hadn't told anybody that I was, this was a problem, and I, I didn't want to ask for a ride. So I was, I was riding my bike. Um, <laughs> And so I, it was a really easy bike ride. It was really easy. I would go out from the street we lived on, uh, go two blocks, and then turn left and go six blocks. And I would just position my bike such that the curb was on the right, and it was this vast, like, tan area. And then the street was this vast, like, dark area. And I would just keep the line kind of in my sights. And I would run into the curb sometimes, but that was better than, like, going the other way into traffic. Um, and so I, would, I was biking back to my appointment, and I feel a car start to, like, come up behind me. And I'm like, oh, shit, like, am I in the street? Like, I don't really know. Um, and I hear someone scream out the window, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in the middle of the street. Like, what's happening? Uh, it turned out it was not an angry motorist. I wasn't in the middle of the street. It was actually someone who was in my visual memoir class <laughs> who knew that I was basically blind um, and was like, why are you biking? Um, to his credit, he didn't think that I had just been lying in my visual memoir class about not being able to see. And so he put my bike in the back of his truck and he drove me to the eye doctor. Um, I get to the eye doctor and uh, they, they look at my eyes again and they're like, all right, this looks good. You know, we'll see if we can get you to grow back sort of the, the holes. Uh, and so they give me some steroids. Um, and I would just say as an aside is that steroids, I know you hear jokes about roid rage, but that shit will fuck you up. I was so angry all the time. I was just like furious, like enraged. I like almost fought a man in a parking lot. I don't know how far away he was, but I knew he was somewhere. <laughs> I was so mad. Uh, I don't even remember why, but I was just so mad. Um, but it worked. Uh, and, and slowly, my, my eyes got better. Um, and I can't actually see you right now, but if we meet after this, I will be able to see you pretty much. Um, I still have glasses, um, but that's okay because I've always had glasses. In second grade, I had bifocals, so I was like the coolest kid in class. Um, and, and so it, it all sort of worked out okay. And I wish that I could say that, you know, at the end of this whole experience of... Um, 
possibly losing a lot of my vision that I had learned, you know, that someone would be there for me in my time of need, even if it means screaming out of a truck in the road, or that, you know, I would, I would, you know, I'm much better at sort of identifying when I might need help, but that would be a total lie. I'm still really terrible at it. Um, but I do like to think that, you know, I'm getting better slowly. Uh, I no longer pretend I haven't gotten a haircut. Just the baby steps. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> I know, it's really a, a big life change for me. Um, and I do like to think that if I did have this problem again, I would at least ask someone to help me on the subway. Thanks. That was Rose Eveleth. Rose is a writer, producer, and designer based in Brooklyn. She's dabbled in everything from research on krill to animations about beer to podcasts about fake tumbleweed farms. Her work has appeared in Scientific American, The Atlantic, BBC Future, Deadspin, and more. And she is host and producer of the podcast, Meanwhile in the Future, where every week she overthinks a different version of the future. She also produces the podcast for The Story Collider, a show you may have heard of. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, and Skylar Bear. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Littlefield for hosting the show and to Rose for finally agreeing to tell a story of her own. Thanks for listening. <laughs>